0: Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This thing, Monday Night Raw, this fight's way! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys, and welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for November 7, 2019. I am Graham G.S. And Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And just like that, November's here. November has arrived. We are almost through with the year 2019. It feels like it was one of the quickest years yet. Maybe that's just me, but I think part of the reason behind that is because we've had so much great wrestling recently between AEW becoming a thing, obviously all the usual WWE stuff, um, and so much more impact moving to Tuesdays. There's a lot to talk about here in today's show. We're going to be reviewing Raw for Monday, breaking down, once again, AEW and NXT for Wednesday night, and also giving my full... Preview and predictions for Saturday's AEW Full Gear Pay-Per-View, which I'm very much looking forward to. I don't know if I would pay 50 bucks for it if I wasn't a Bleacher Report writer and didn't get it for free. Um, but it does look like a solid show on paper, if only for those top tier matches. So we'll get into all of that momentarily. Before we go any further, you guys could check me out on the socials on Twitter at Wrestlerant, on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and also on YouTube youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews. You can also check out full episodes of Wrestlerant Radio every single Thursday, not only on nextairwrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Podbean. We're all over the place, baby. So subscribe today, rate the show, review the show. And in addition to checking out all the new episodes on Thursdays, you can also binge all the other archived episodes dating back to October of 2013. Over six years worth of content right for your listening pleasure on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Uh, That being said, before we go any further with the WWE and AEW thoughts and the predictions for full gear, which I will save for the end of the show, I do want to note this, I was in attendance for Ringside Fest on Sunday, where we got to meet Alexis and I got to meet Seth Rollins, the now former Universal Champion, Um, and it, it was cool, you know, it was nice. Largely I went because I really, I mean, I like Seth Rollins, I'm a big fan of his, Um, and always have been, regardless of the shit that he's been through this year with his character and how badly he's been booked. I know he's been Universal Champion now twice, won the Royal Rumble, beat Brock Lesnar twice. How badly has he really been booked? But in terms of endearing himself to the audience, hasn't done exactly a great job of that lately. Not only himself, but WWE on the whole. Nonetheless, though, I did really want to meet him, not just for that reason, but also to have him sign my replica Intercontinental Championship belt, which... Anyone who has been following me for any stretch of time for the past two, two and a half years would know that is my most prized possession in the sense that I'm trying to get every former living Intercontinental Champion to sign that thing. And interestingly enough, I'm almost halfway through. How crazy is that in two and a half years, I have almost secured over half of the living former Intercontinental Champions, and that includes Bret Hart, Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels, CM Punk, and now Seth Rollins, who was, in my opinion, one of the better Intercontinental Champions in recent memory. Uh, I was really adamant on getting his signature on that belt. I am happy to say we've since got it, even though the wait in line was ridiculously long. And I was already aware of that going in just because I've been at Ringside Fest. That was my third year. I was there last year to meet Undisputed Era, Specifically Roderick Strong, but Alexis and I somehow got to meet the entire Undisputed Era, which was cool. Um, And then Matt Hardy and Kurt Angle, who had also at that point signed my Intercontinental Championship belt. And then the year before that, I was there to meet Finn Balor. Um, And Finn Balor was cool. And, you know, it it was kind of the same thing though, where he's so popular. And Braun Strowman was also there that year, where both guys were so popular that the line was out the door, and well out the door, like, this is New York City, so it was stretching around the building, it was at Caroline's in Times Square in New York City, okay, so, and at that point, the rain, it was like torrential downpour, it was absolutely awful, one of the worst, uh, you know, weather conditions, I guess, that I've ever stood in to meet a WWE superstar, really anyone, at a wrestling event, and there was no overhang, you're literally just standing on the street in this Torrential downpour, terrible wind. It was so bad. My Justin Roberts book that I had in my backpack or um, drawstring bag or whatever it might have been got soaked. So the Finn Balor autograph was still intact, but like the first few pages are still soaked. Even two years later, like it kind of ruined the page quality, but it was well worth it. I mean, at that point, I could not have Finn Balor sign my IC title belt because he wasn't a former IC champion at that point. Um, but it was still cool, it was well worth the experience, got to talk to him very briefly, same thing with Seth Rollins, they were kind of rushing us through, we met him at the tail end, like we were at the very end of the line, not the end, but close to the end of the line to meet Seth Rollins, Becky Lynch was there as well, uh, Ricochet was there on Saturday, or rather Sunday in New York City, the session before us had Sasha Banks and Nikki Cross, um, I think Nikki Cross was there, I didn't see any photos with her, I saw a lot of people taking pictures with Sasha Banks, I didn't really have much of a desire to meet her, um, but still, you know, it was cool, and um, yeah, so I thought it was, it was well worth the experience, so if you live in the Northeast area, specifically New York, I would recommend checking Ringside Fest out, it's every year, either at the end of October, early November, the last two years, it was at the end of October, and that same weekend this year, when it would have been, had awful rain, like it was torrential downpour again on that same Sunday that Ringside would have, would have been on this year. So thankfully, they moved it. I mean, it was already going to be early November anyway. Um, but it worked out well, and we had a good time. Uh, we actually got there at 1 o'clock for when it started, and you should always go ahead of time, obviously, to get a, place in, uh, to get a better place in line. But people are going to be standing there regardless. So I'm like, fuck it. Like, if the line's long, we'll go get something to eat, which is exactly what we did. The line wrapped around the building. So Alexis and I left to go to Applebee's, and we were there for, like, no more than a half an hour. They served this really quickly. Our food came in, like, no joke, five minutes. So we ate and then went back. The line was slightly longer than it was originally. And I'm like, how the hell does that happen? I know more people show up, but, like, you would think the line would have moved more by now, but apparently not. So we stood in line for about, I want to say, two and a half hours. Again, it was a long time. And you got to really be dedicated to do this type of stuff. I've done this before at Access, WrestleCon. Um, I did it at Rhode Island Comic Con, Boston Comic Con to meet certain people, to me it's worth it, you know, I appreciate Alexis for making the trip with me, she didn't complain, she enjoyed it as well, but uh, most people would be like, come on, the wait is too long, I want to go inside, it's cold, and it was getting cold, I mean, it's early November here in the Northeast, you gotta expect it's gonna be getting cold soon, and it already is as I speak, but not as cold as it would have been if it was in December or whatever. Like, I've gone to final battle in New York City. Ring of Honor's premier pay-per-view of the year. And it's been, like, snowing. So, thankfully that wasn't the case this time around. And I'm glad we went. But that was Ringside Fest on Sunday. Speaking of, WWE will transition into Raw on Monday. No Crown Jewel thoughts here on today's Show at this point. It's a week old. Um, I did give my brief audio review of Crown Jewel and my SmackDown review from last Saturday. So... What I've been trying to do now for the better part of the past month is give my audio thoughts, my, my, um, not audio thoughts, but like, uh, audible, I guess. I don't know. That's, that's a fucking name of a program, a, a website, but my, you know, podcast esque review of SmackDown. I mean, obviously, I do all the written reviews and I've been doing that for close to a decade now for wrestling.net. but, um, I'm trying to do more podcasts for SmackDown because by the time that Thursday rolls around for WrestleRant Radio, Um, This show is old news, and there's no real reason to break it down, especially since some people might check out this show after the next SmackDown already airs. So there's really no worth in breaking down SmackDown here on WrestleRant Radio anymore. So what I've been trying to do in recent weeks is do a separate podcast solely for SmackDown on the YouTube channel. So if you're not already subscribed, please do so. YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham, GSM Matthews, in addition to all the other daily content that goes up, uh, you know, Wrestle Rant radio excerpts on Thursdays, we have a Total Divas review on Fridays, Hashtag AskGSM is probably the biggest show that I do on the channel every Wednesday, the Q&A video, uh, we do, you know, network and show videos, which is basically breaking down content that airs on the network, including ride-alongs and table for threes and stuff of that nature, um, SmackDown audio reviews, old episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio in full, old interviews, miscellaneous clips, everything you can possibly imagine on that channel. So, again, subscribe today. But like I said, Monday Night Raw from this past week, I thought honestly was a decent show, wasn't terrible, wasn't a home run either. It was kind of a mundane episode of Raw. I'm glad that Crown Jewel is over and done with just because the build for that show kind of took up a majority of um you know, the Raw TV time and stuff like that. So we can't really call Crown Jewel a pointless pay-per-view anymore. The shows may suck, but they are dominating a majority of the build on WWE television, including Raw and SmackDown. So in that case, you can't really call it, oh, it's a glorified house show, because if it was if it was a house show, the, I mean, it is a house show in terms of how they book things on the show, but in terms of how they handle it and they perceive it and all this other stuff and how they treat it as a normal WWE pay-per-view, it's exactly... You know, it's no different than any other show they do throughout the year. They even call it as big, if not bigger, than WrestleMania, which is why they do matches like Brock Lesnar versus Cain Velasquez or Tyson Fury versus Braun Strowman. I may not be a fan of it, but that's how they handle it. That's how they treat it as a top-tier show, and that's pretty much what it is at this point. Um But thankfully, Crown Jewel has come and gone, and now we can fully focus on Survivor Series, which, again, is doing the brand supremacy theme this year. Thankfully... NXT is now involved. So that was probably one of the bigger talking points coming out of the Survivor Series, or rather the Crown Jewel show on Thursday, that Survivor Series, for the first time ever, will be Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. So far from what we've seen, it's really NXT versus the main roster, but I can't say I'm complaining. I mean, they can't do this every year. and Maybe they will, but it's only going to start to get old after a while, just because so far we have seen no blurring of not the brand split lines, God forbid we've seen that a million times already, but in terms of Raw and SmackDown superstars appearing in NXT and vice versa, we have not really seen that much at all. I mean, obviously we'll see, we'll see the occasional call-ups, but other than that, you don't really see in a normal setting NXT superstars featured on Raw and vice versa, especially vice versa. I, mean, I know Finn Balor recently returned to NXT, but that was as a full-time member of the brand. Um, I mean, they used to do that many, many years ago, five, six years ago when NXT first started and they needed to, you know, kind of base the shows around WWE main roster talent to get people in the, you know, in the building, in the arena. Um, they don't really, they haven't done that in years. It's been a long time since they brought in people from the main roster to do one-offs on the show. And I'm glad they're focusing on their own roster, but it's also cool to see people like AJ Styles and NXT, which I'll get to momentarily. But yeah, this show is mostly about the NXT invasion and building up Survivor Series, which I'm probably the most excited for in a long, long time, based off the card that we currently have for the show, including Brock Lesnar versus Rey Mysterio, which kicked off this episode of Raw. Brock Lesnar came out, who is apparently now a member of the Raw roster. So that was another big talking point coming out of SmackDown on Friday, that Lesnar has quit SmackDown and has since rejoined the Raw roster. And this is the type of shit that happens when you don't think things out before the fucking draft. If they plan this out before the draft and, hey, I don't work there, I don't know, but maybe they already had an idea in their mind that Wyatt wouldn't win the championship at Hell in a Cell, but they would put the belt on him at at the Crown Jewel pay-per-view. I'm not sure why they would do that, but maybe that was their long-term plan all along. I find that very hard to believe because at one point... From what I understand, Wyatt and Rollins was being advertised for the Survivor Series pay-per-view. There's a very good chance we could still get that match. We'll find that on SmackDown tomorrow based off what Bray Wyatt says, if he says anything at all about uh, Seth Rollins and him becoming Universal Champion. Rollins hardly acknowledged it on Monday's Raw. He was, you know, kind of questioning what was next for him, and that was when he was interrupted by Triple H and the Undisputed Era, which I'll get to momentarily. But based off what we saw on Raw, it doesn't look like they're going back to that match which is a good thing because the only two matches they've had absolutely sucked. They were terrible, Uh, and I would be more than happy with seeing the feud dead and buried and moved on from. But uh, at the same time, I mean, if Rollins goes back after the championship, then he would have to lose again, which I don't think they would probably want to see happen, Um, just because Wyatt's on SmackDown as the Universal Champion, a title they will absolutely have to switch up at some point. It can't have the red leather forever if it's going to be a part of the blue brand, you know? now Brock Lesnar's on Raw. Now, I'm not a fan of that. I've said this before. I liked Lesnar on SmackDown just because it's a brand he hasn't been on in a long time for well over a decade, 15 years. um, That's where he won the WWE Championship beating Kofi Kingston, which in retrospect kind of feels like a waste just because the Cain Velasquez match was such a letdown. And they probably could have done that match without the championship being on the line anyway. But it has worked well for the Brock and Rey Mysterio feud, which you would think, like... Why bother, like, what has Rey Mysterio done to earn a shot of the WWE Championship? Absolutely nothing, but if they did say that Rollins, or rather Rey Mysterio, was owed a shot of the championship by virtue of winning the, um, what was it, the five-pack, six-pack challenge a few months ago on the season, not the season premiere of Raw, it was the week before that, so about a month or two ago, um, he won that Fatal Five-Way match, to become the number one contender to the Universal Championship, never got a shot because he was attacked by Brock Lesnar. Now, it could be said, hey, he's translating that title shot, and it was shot at the WWE title, but that was never explained on Monday's Raw. Nonetheless, though, uh, they are making the most of the whole brand split nonsense with Wyatt being on SmackDown. He really should be on Raw. I like The Fiend on Raw, but that's just personal preference. I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels that way, but whatever. Whatever. And Lesnar is now on the Raw roster again as the WWE Champion. And as Rollins alluded to a little later on in the show, we're back to where we started. We're back at square one with an absentee champion as the face of Monday Night Raw. Because once the Rey Mysterio feud comes and goes, we're once again not going to have a world champion in WWE on the Raw roster. On SmackDown, we will with, with The Fiend. But even he makes infrequent appearances on WWE TV. So, how often he'll appear as the Universal Champion on SmackDown remains to be seen. I'm sure he'll be more full-time than Brock is on Raw, because again, after Survivor Series wraps up, what do you do with the main event scene on Raw? Rollins has already gone for that spot multiple times, and it hasn't really worked for whatever reason. Um, I like Rollins as the face of the Raw roster, as the top babyface, but he's been booked so badly that I would just say, turn him heel. Turn him heel at this point. And give that spot to a Drew McIntyre or a Ricochet or even at this point a Rey Mysterio. And at this point, Rey Mysterio is nearing the twilight of his career. If he's not already in the twilight of his career, which I feel like he's been in for almost a decade now. But the guy continues to put out great matches. I feel like the guy's aged like a fine wine. And the injuries may not exactly speak to that. Um, just because he's been injured so often in the last 10, 15 years. But despite all the knee injuries that this guy's endured, he's gone out there and had great match. He's gone out there and had great match after great match after great match, including in Lucha Underground and on SmackDown and now on the Raw roster. So hopefully the Lesnar match is good. I'm sure it will be. Um, they followed up on the Rey Mysterio-Brock thing at the start of the show after the women's tag team match, which saw Charlotte Flair and Italian knock off the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, the Kabuki Warriors, uh, non-title. Um, I wasn't that big of a fan of that, but I'll get to that in a second. So after that match, we had Rey Mysterio come out, attack Brock Lesnar, and then set in stage the WWE Championship match for a Survivor Series that we will see Rey Mysterio vie for the gold against Brock Lesnar. So, I'm looking forward to the match. Survivor Series has been like the go-to show for great Brock Lesnar matches, it feels like, in recent years. Um, maybe not of all time, that Big Show match in 2002 was a great moment, but the actual match, I think, went all of four minutes. Remember when Big Show beat Brock at Survivor Series in 2002, and um, it was with the help of Paul Heyman. It was that great moment. The actual match was fun while it lasted, but it was hardly a classic because it was so short, for whatever reason. The following year, I feel like he was in some sort of elimination tag team match that he may have won, I don't remember. I feel like he did. I feel like Team Lesnar won that year, even though Lesnar, I don't think, was among the sole survivors. Um, And then that was his last Survivor Series match until 2016. He didn't compete at Survivor Series in 2012, 2013, 2014, or even 2015, which was weird. But he came back in 2016, lost to Goldberg in 90 seconds. And since then, he's been dominant at the event. 2017, he beat AJ Styles in an awesome main event. He beat Daniel Bryan in last year's main event, which was equally exceptional. So the Rey Mysterio match, for all those arguing that, oh, Rey is not believable, And trust me, he's not. Brock just beat Kofi in 10 seconds on SmackDown a month ago. He beat Cain Velasquez, this supposed badass UFC fighter who, I mean, not, not to say that he's not a badass, but they booked him to look like a complete fucking loser at Crown Jewel to the point where he kind of looks inferior to Brock and everyone else in the roster. Um, I, can, I guess they can play up the whole knee injury and that was the thing that held him back, but I don't know. Then, then don't book the match in the first place if the guy's going to lose in two minutes. But nonetheless, the point being Brock is an absolute dominant one-man wrecking machine. He's knocked off Kofi and Cain Velasquez in a total of three minutes. Between the two of them, their matches lasted all of three minutes. Probably less than that. Two and a half minutes. So what type of threat is Rey Mysterio to Brock Lesnar if those other forces can't beat him? I mean, obviously, Rey Rey is better than Kofi, um, in my opinion. I mean, the guy's a legend. But at the same time, Rey Mysterio has at least made a career out of overcoming obstacles and being the ultimate underdog I mean, this is far from the first time we've seen Rey Mysterio go up against a giant. He's faced the Big Show before, Kane, Great Khali, you name them, he's faced them. So, I mean, it's far from the first time we've seen something along those lines where Rey Rey is positioned as the top face, um, you know, battling this big monster heel. He doesn't always win, nor should he win this match. I mean, seeing one more Rey Mysterio title run would be pretty cool. Um, I don't see it happening in this case. I feel like Rey Mysterio would be a weird choice to beat Brock. After it took, like, fucking, what, five curb stumps to beat Brock at WrestleMania and SummerSlam from Seth Rollins? So, if Rollins had to go through hell and back to beat Brock, I feel like Rey Mysterio, of all people, who's always injured and is coming off, in storyline, an arm injury, it would be unbelievable to think that he'll beat Brock. I thought the same thing at SummerSlam when Rollins faced Brock, and we saw it happen anyway, when he beat Brock to win back the Universal Championship, despite being on his deathbed a week before but whatever. We have seen Stranger Things in WWE before and I'm not talking about the television show. Uh, So I guess anything is possible, but I just would say to anyone hoping for a Rey Mysterio uh, title win at Survivor Series to not get your hopes up because I just don't really see how that makes sense. But that being said, the match should be a lot of fun. And based off other matches and other interactions they've had in the past on SmackDown many, many years ago, they do have the chemistry, and I'm sure it can be an absolutely awesome match if given enough time to shine. So I mentioned the women's tag team match that saw Natalya and Charlotte beat the Kabuki Warriors. It was a good match. Went a little longer than it, need- than it needed to. It got a lot of time, but it was good. Um, my only issue with this Really is two things, because at one point, even as recently, I think as a week ago, they were hyping up Becky versus Asuka as the next step, you know, as, as Becky's next challenger for the Raw Women's Championship. Asuka pinned, or not even pinned, not even got pinned. She got submitted in this tag team match. She submitted in this tag team match. So I don't really see her being a threat to the Raw Women's Championship at any point in the foreseeable future. I know they're focusing on the brand supremacy stuff right now, and that's fine. But at the same time, Becky and Oscar made sense. They've been seeing it for weeks. That Oscar still owes, or still owns, rather, a victory over Becky from the Royal Rumble that Becky never avenged. So at some point, I would like to see them revisit that rivalry. I guess it won't be any time in the foreseeable future. To be quite honest, I don't really mind Charlotte and Natalya as a tag team. Neither one of them have really been in the tag team scene yet in WWE, as far as the women's tag team titles are concerned. So it makes sense, they have good chemistry, it beats the hell out of seeing them feud one-on-one again for what would be like the upteenth time after they feuded in NXT on the main roster over the Divas title, Raw Women's title, SmackDown Women's title, maybe they'll feud over the WWE Women's Tag Team titles too. If one of them wins the tag titles and the other one doesn't, however that would work. Um, I just don't like the fact that Asuka tapped out after she was supposed to be... Built up as a threat to Becky as the Raw Women's Champion. Well, not anymore. And the second issue that I had with this is that I fucking hate whenever they have the champions suffer non-title losses for no reason. The Kabuki Warriors are coming off a great title defense in NXT last week over Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox. Why have them lose? I mean, again, it wasn't like they were squashed or that the match was bad or whatever. Not that they were made to look weak, But there are other ways of crowning number one contenders and giving people title shots that don't involve the champions getting beat. I hate when they fucking do that shit. It's so annoying. It's such a tired trope, I really hope they just do away with. Because it makes the champions look weak. It makes them look like losers. And maybe they won't end up winning the tag titles. I mean, I, I guess they very well could. Just because who else? Are the Kabuki Warrior is gonna feud with Nikki Cross is doing her own thing right now on SmackDown. I guess Alexa Bliss is injured. Um, that's why she wasn't at Ringside Fest over the weekend. Um, so no Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. I guess there is the Iconics, but who gives a shit about that? Uh, Mandy Rose and Sonya maybe. Even though I think we've seen that before. Uh, I don't really know. Honestly, I'm not sure. So Charlotte and Natalya are a good fit for that. You know, challenger spot. As the challengers of the month for the Kabuki Warriors, I just hate the fact they had to beat the champions themselves there in a title shot. I hate, like, it's not just WWE. Impacted it this week. Rich Swan pinned the world champion in the main event. Rich Swan pinned Sammy Callahan. One week removed from Sammy Callahan becoming the world champion by beating Brian Cage in that steel cage match. I think Kling, too. He didn't win it with interference from OVE, he won it all on his own. And then the guy gets pinned a week later by Rich Swan. I don't hate the idea of a Rich Swan Sammy Callahan feat. I know I'm off topic here, but it's kind of related where the tired trope of the champions getting pinned is just so overdone by all wrestling companies. And in Impact, again, I like the idea of revisiting the rivalry between Rich Swan and Sammy Callahan, this time over the world championship. I just hate the fucking fact that Callahan had to get beat in order to accomplish that. It kind of feels like counterproductive booking to me. AEW, everyone's favorite promotion right now, did the exact same thing on Wednesday when Ima Sakura beat Rio in that tag team match. She pinned her in the tag team match, and I feel like the title match was already announced anyway. And obviously they did it as a last-minute momentum boost because the match makes no sense, and there's really no reason for Sakura to be getting a title shot um, because they haven't really built up the feud at all. So I could see why they did it, but it's still stupid, and I hate when the champions lose a, a literal week after becoming champions. It's so annoying, and I, it's it's you know not just a WWE issue. Obviously, like I said, Impact did it this week, AEW did it this week. I feel like we don't see it too often in NXT, but it absolutely happens a lot on Raw, SmackDown, and all these other promotions. Um, so well, up next on Raw, we saw Cedric Alexander and Buddy Murphy. Um, rekindle their magic in the ring. They have great chemistry. The match was only a few minutes long, and it was, I guess, designed to maintain momentum for Buddy Murphy, who's coming off a few victories over Cedric in the WWE Draft a few weeks ago. He beat R-Truth one week. Um, he may have won one other match, but he's definitely beat Cedric and R-Truth in recent weeks on Raw. And this was another good match, except that wasn't given nearly enough time. I have no idea what they're doing with Cedric. I guess he was really only pushed as the challenger of the month for AJ Styles before, him being, before being knocked right back down the totem pole on the show. I'm glad he's even on Raw. There was a point for a, a number of months where he wasn't even on the show. And I don't count the 24-7 title bullshit, because that's just nonsense and it means nothing. But in terms of competitive matches, the guy was never on Raw. So I'm glad that he's on the show. The issue is, he hasn't really won any important matches in months and months and months. You know, he pinned AJ maybe about two months ago, and we've seen no follow-up to that since. He lost a six-man tag team match one time, he's already lost to AJ multiple times, lost the Battle Royal at Crown Jewel, lost to um, Buddy Murphy a few weeks ago at the draft. So, again, they gotta get their shit straight with Cedric, the guy's really, really good. But the issue with doing matches like this is that both Buddy and Cedric need wins. So it's kind of, I mean, yeah, Buddy kind of benefits, from Ced- but Cedric shouldn't have lost either. That's why you have people like R-Truth on the roster to take the losses. Um, I wouldn't have done that, but it was still a good match for what it was. The funny thing is that Buddy Murphy went on to take a shot, maybe not Buddy, but Apollo Cruz took a shot at WWE on Twitter the other day. I think it might have been on Wednesday. Someone tweeted out a picture of Buddy Murphy and Apollo Cruz facing each other in the new WWE 2K20 video game, and... Apollo Crews replied, saying that we would only have five minutes, or something to that extent, where he was like, yeah, we would only have a few minutes for our match, which is so accurate, a lot like Buddy Murphy and Cedric, and Cedric even replied to that, saying that includes entrances, and he's right, that inc- I, I think he's right, mean, you now these two weren't even given an entrance, I don't think, I don't think they were given a televised entrance to the, for the, uh, for their match before they went out there, again, it was good, but they really should do a better job of protecting the up-and-coming guys and not just certain people. Um, again, I love Buddy, and I love the fact that he won, but why not beat, you know, uh, friggin' Eric Young or someone like that? That's why those people are there, Titus O'Neal. The match may have been no good, but it's better than him beating a guy like Cedric who needs wins right now. And the more that Cedric loses, the less credibility he has and the less a win over him will mean in the long run. So I mentioned Seth Rollins earlier. He was confronted by Triple H after Rollins was kind of uh, despondent and not really sure of what his future held before Triple H came out and offered Seth Rollins as the first ever NXT champion, bringing up all the history they've had over the years, uh, when they were in the Authority together and they feuded and you know he enlisted him as part of the Shield and all this other stuff. He offered him a spot, again, on the NXT roster, asking him if he stood with them or against them. And before I could give an answer, uh, the rest of the Undisputed Era came out, the OC brawled with them, and the OC and the Undisputed Era were in the same place at the same time, which was fucking cool, and they followed up with that on NXT this week by having the two factions brawl, which I'll get to my NXT review in a little bit, but um, yeah, so the OC forced the Undisputed Era to uh, to flee from the ring, they forced them to flee, and then it was kind of silly I mean, obviously, we saw Damian Priest come out and Dominic Dijakovic, and they were forcing everyone else to leave. Um, they were kind of brawling with the OC, which was cool. And then all the other losers came out, like Zack Ryder, Kurt Hawkins, to brawl with the Undisputed Era and get them out of there, which that was a little silly. Again, um, Ryder and Hawkins, at least them, are no threats to a tag team or a faction like the Undisputed Era. Um, it was a complete joke. But I guess they're doing that because they don't want the Undisputed Era attacking their top stars just yet. Maybe they're mid-card talent, but, I mean, again, I would have put would have put Cedric in that spot. Ricochet makes sense. Uh, kind of not really, just because, you know, he was on NXT, what, six months ago? No more than five, six months ago. But anyway, um, people like Hawkins and Ryder, yeah, they have no real ties to NXT, but in terms of them being the ones to force the Undisputed Era to flee, I thought that was kind of comical. But anyway, um, this was a good segment, though, and set up the main event, which would see Seth Rollins who confronted Triple H backstage afterward and demanded an NXT Championship match. So it set up Seth Rollins versus Adam Cole for the NXT Championship Rollins once held many, many years ago in the main event. And I looked it up. Uh, Rollins had actually not gone, or I'd rather not competed, in an NXT Championship match since January of 2013. At that point, I was still a fucking senior in high school. That's crazy. So over six years, almost seven years since Rollins last competed for the NXT Championship. He lost the title that night to Big E um, after he and the rest of the SHIELD had already been called up to the main roster. So after this segment, we saw Andrade and Zelina Vega knock off Sin Cara and Catalina, who they're still calling Carolina in the fucking graphics to this show. How, is, how does that happen? How do they call her Catalina on the website and you know on commentary, but they call her Carolina in the graphics? The first time, I get it, it was a mistake, it shouldn't happen, but whatever. It happened a second time this week. What the fuck is this woman's name? She's really good. Um, I guess she's like really, really young too, maybe 19 or something like that. I don't think this was, this was a full-time call-up. I would assume that she'll be back down in NXT very, very soon. She's now lost. Um, I mean, this was her only match, but she failed to help Sin Cara win. Last week, Sin Cara lost two weeks ago. At this point, Andrade is gaining nothing from beating and facing Sin Cara. A guy who I know is, yes, he's been around for almost a decade now in WWE, believe it or not. I don't think he's won any championships. He was a former NXT Tag Team Champion, but on the main roster, he hasn't won jack shit. Um, You know, again, the guy is good, but at the same time, you know, he's a loser. He's a loser. Like, beating him means absolutely nothing. So, the match was fine. It was cool to see Catalina and Zelina Vega go at it, and it was cool to see Vega pick up the victory for her team for once. But other than that, though, and I'm glad they're not doing 50-50 booking. I'm not complaining, but it's time to move on. Andrade has got to move on to a real feud with someone on the roster that actually matters. So hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. We then had Rusev take on Drew McIntyre after Rusev and Bobby Lashley went back and forth on the mic. The whole angle sucks. What else is new? Water is wet. Uh, Rusev and McIntyre was a fine match before it got interrupted by Randy Orton, who RKO'd again Rusev out of nowhere. Again, the RKO was out of nowhere. He did the same thing to Ricochet ricochet about a week ago on Raw, and one of the best RKO's I've seen in a while. Uh, Rusev's wasn't as good, but it was still fine. And then out came Ricochet, speaking of him, to make the save, so it looks like they're setting up a tag team match uh, with two members from Team Flair and then two members from Team Hogan uh, from Crown Jewel facing off probably next week on Raw. Ricochet and Rusev versus Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre. Becky Lynch then sat down with Charlie Caruso to discuss uh, Survivor Series, and I honestly forgot what the point of this even was because Becky Lynch has really been involved in Nothing Notable for about a month now. She had a good match with Kyrie Scene last week on the show, but she hasn't really been involved in a feud since the one with Sasha Banks wrapped up at Hell in a Cell. So she was talking, she was talking, and then the interview gets crashed by the NXT Women's Champion Sheena Baszler. This was the best thing on the entire show, and that includes a Rollins versus Adam Cole main event, which was good, But this was the best thing on the entire show. Um, Shayna is the most, as a, the article should be up by now by the time you're listening to this on Daily DDT, but I wrote a whole article yesterday that should be up soon if it's not up already about why Shayna should be the one to beat Becky for that Raw Women's Championship. To me, no one else makes sense. Nia Jax, for when she comes back, she's fucking terrible. It's a feud that makes sense, but it's not a feud that I want to, you know, really see. Um, It makes sense, but I definitely don't want to see Nia Jax be the one to beat Becky Lynch after all this time. Ruby Riot, it won't happen. Uh, She's already beaten Charlotte. She's already beaten Natalya. She's already beaten Lacey Evans from SmackDown. Shayna Baszler, I know she's still a part of NXT. She's still the reigning NXT Women's Champion and has been for over a year now. Um, But Shayna should be next in line for a shot of that Raw Women's Championship. Maybe not next in line, but but for when she gets called up, probably sooner rather than later. Maybe as soon as January. Like, I think that could be the WrestleMania match. If Ronda Rousey's not backed by Mania, and they don't do Ronda versus Becky one-on-one, Shayna versus Becky makes the most sense. And we've been saying this for close to six months now. I thought Shayna would show up in the post-WrestleMania Raw and attack Becky Lynch, or on the post-WrestleMania, or rather the post-SummerSlam Raw and we didn't get it then either because Shane has been you know ruling the NXT women's division for that entire time she has yet to drop the NXT women's championship um and she is a great talent um but i think that she should be the one to beat becky no one else in the raw roster makes as much sense as her and in this interview segment this interaction here between the two of them only cemented that it only solidified that it should be uh it should Baina. It should be Baszler, Shayna Baszler, being the one to take that title from Becky. Um, They had a great interaction here, and I love the fact that it's not so much about the brand supremacy. And I mean, it is, because at Survivor Series, it will be Shayna Baszler versus Becky Lynch versus Bailey, the champion versus champion versus champion from each of the brand's women's divisions, respectively. So it is about brand supremacy. The thing with Becky and Shayna, though, it makes even more sense. Because while they don't have history with each other, Becky was the one who beat Ronda Rousey and kind of sent her packing from WWE at WrestleMania. Shayna and Ronda, very well documented, very good friends. Shayna looking to avenge that loss from Ronda to Becky Lynch, from Becky Lynch, um, that loss, you know, Ronda's loss from Becky Lynch or to Becky, whatever the prepositions would be, um, at Survivor Series by beating her. Now, I think Becky will win probably by pinning Bailey. Um, I do expect Becky to win that match. Shayna winning would be awesome. I don't see it happening. But again, it would be cool to see Shayna um, pin Becky and earn herself a future shot at that championship for when she gets called up. Again, I would hope before before long, because if Ronda's not backed by WrestleMania, they're going to need a big opponent for Becky. And with Sasha being on SmackDown and Bayley being on SmackDown, I think Becky and Baszler is the money match in that Raw women's division. So I thought this was great. And I love the fact that they're feuding, not over the fact that they're from separate brands, but the fact that there is a legitimate reason there for Sheena to go after Becky because of what she did to Ronda earlier this year. That's always been the case. People have been saying this for months now, but to see it finally, you know, transpire on TV, I thought was really cool. So also on the show, we saw the OC knockoff Humberto Carrillo in the Street Profits. Good match, but Carrillo continues to lose. The guys now had four matches on the main roster, not including 205 Live. And he's lost every single one of them. He can look good in the feet, but he's quickly becoming the next Neville. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. I mean, I, I kind of do, but Neville's an amazing talent. And yeah, he eventually rebranded himself, repackaged himself as the king of the cruiserweights when heel, and it was amazing. But before that, though, um, we had um, Neville as the superhero in WWE. For about a year there, all he did was lose. The guy was lo- he was losing left and left and right. Neville was. And he would, the, the argument would be, oh, he looked good in the defeat, which is, you know, good for one or two matches, but when you lose so often, it doesn't matter. You're just a glorified fucking loser. You're just a loser. You're just a glorified stepping stone at that point. So the guy's got to win a match. I thought he would win here. I mean, they probably didn't want to have him, uh, you know, they didn't want to have him win over the OC, considering the OC would go on to, you know, uh, appear on NXT days later. But um, still, I thought this was a good match. The OC won, Whatever. Um, and AJ's got to win matches, I understand that, but I thought it was weird to have Carrillo lose again. Again, for the fourth consecutive time now. The guy needs a win bad. The Viking Raiders then beat two jabronis that were going by the names of the East Hampton Polo Boys. Um, this was over within seconds. And they will face Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly of the Undisputed Era along with a revival and a Champions versus Champions versus Champions. You get the gist. Triple Threat Tag Team Match at Survivor Series. Now, what doesn't make sense about that match is that all three of those teams, a lot like the Triple Threat Women's Match, they're all from NXT. They all came from NXT. In the case of the Revival, had their better years in NXT. In the case of the War Raiders, they were just there six months ago. Six, seven months ago. So, in their case, it makes no sense. It's completely ridiculous. Um, for these guys to be like, oh, I'm representing Raw, I'm representing SmackDown. I bleed blue, I bleed red when they were just on NXT or they enjoyed their time in NXT more. It doesn't make any sense to me. But as a match though, it should be great. Um, And then in the main event, the NXT Championship was up for grabs. Adam Cole facing Seth Rollins. Good match, not nearly as good as Cole and Bryan from SmackDown probably because that had more time. You know, that wasn't on a three-hour show. The crowd was hotter. Long Island fucking sucked. The crowd on this show was terrible. You know, I've heard the horror stories about the Long Island Coliseum, the Veterans Memorial, whatever the hell it's called. The Nassau Coliseum um, being a terrible arena for WWE shows. And I think they redid it a couple years ago. But that market is just fucking bad. And the weird thing is that they did Evolution in that same arena a year ago almost to the day, and the crowd was way hotter than this, maybe because there weren't as many people there, or because it was like a house show, where there were more women and kids, I don't know, but this crowd on this show was terrible, not to say they should have been rowdy all night long, because it was an amazing show, it was it was a solid show, it was a better raw than we've seen in some time, um, but this crowd sucked, they absolutely took away from my enjoyment of the episode, because they were so quiet for the better part of the night, but yeah, Rollins and Cole was good. Ended in the way that I thought Brian and Cole would end on SmackDown, with the Undisputed Era getting involved, and then the other NXT roster members coming out, and the rest of the main roster coming out. And they all brawl to close out the show. Keith Lee jumped off um, the ropes. Uh, we saw Ricochet jump off the ropes. Um, it was pretty cool. On the you know on everyone else that typical spot they do. But yeah, I thought this was good. I um, it was a good match good angle to close out the show with and for now the NXT invasion has been very well done. I thought their Smackdown stuff was better, but the stuff we saw on Raw was still good and I'm looking forward to Survivor Series for the first time in a long time. Uh you know, I thought the brand supremacy stuff in recent years hasn't exactly been done all that well. Um but this was a uh this was a good show and has my hopes up to a certain extent. Don't want to get don't want to get my hopes up too high for uh what WWE might have in store for um you know, the Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT stuff at the pay-per-view. So I went a little longer than I was hoping with my Raw review, so I'll kind of go quickly through my NXT and Dynamite reviews so we can settle on full gear predictions for the end of the show. But NXT did kick off on Wednesday with the OC. We were shown a footage, we were shown a video of the OC attacking Undisputed Era right outside the Full Sail University arena. And the OC then crashed Full Sail. Showed up to kick off the show. No music, no nothing. They just showed up through the crowd. It was fucking cool. Because you got to remember this too. It's not like Ricochet's back so soon. And it's always cool to see people who were in NXT years ago come back. Like if Kevin Owens were to come back as part of this invasion angle, it would be cool. But so far... Um, you know, it, it, it's been a while. Like, when Tyler Breeze first came back a couple months ago, or when he returned to face Ricochet for the North American Championship about a year ago, it was cool because we don't see these people in, in full still too often anymore. In this case, it was even cooler because the OC have never been in NXT before. Luke Gallows obviously came up through WWE Developmental years ago, but it wasn't NXT. I don't even know if it was FCW. It might have been OVW at that point. Um... But to see him in NXT, to see Carl Anderson in NXT, and more importantly, to see AJ Styles in NXT was a sight I never thought I would see because they completely bypassed NXT when they first came in in 2016, if you remember that. AJ showed up in the Rumble, and Gallows and Anderson immediately arrived on the Raw roster right after WrestleMania 32. Um, But yeah, this was a really good segment. Typical WWE stuff where Ciampa came out, and then Keith Lee came out, and Matt Riddle came out, and they set up the main event for the night, which would see all six stars clashing in a six-man tag team match, but I thought this was good, and again, to see AJ in NXT, that's probably why I like this whole NXT invasion thing so much, because it's giving us fresh possibilities, stuff we haven't seen before, and with people we haven't seen before either, like with the OC, they've never been in NXT, and it would make sense for them to want to, you know, uh, leave their mark on the black and gold brand, because they have no previous ties to NXT, they're there to make a mark, not only for Monday Night Raw and the WWE, but for themselves. So I thought this was well done. We then had the rematch between Pete Dunn and Damian Priest from a few weeks ago. Uh, great match again. I thought I think these guys work amazingly well together. They have terrific chemistry. Dunn this time got the better of Damian Priest by kind of uh, giving him a taste of his own, own medicine, so to speak, by kicking him in the crotch. Dunn almost got kicked in the crotch with a low blow from Priest. He countered it with his own low blow to uh, Damian Priest to pick up the victory, giving Damian Priest his first loss um, as Damian Priest in NXT. He had a few matches about a year ago when he first came in. I think he faced Matt Riddle uh, when he was first signed to NXT as Punishment Martinez. But uh, not counting that stuff since his official debut on NXT TV a few months ago. This was his uh, first loss, and I thought it was a great match. And I assume the feud will continue. Killian Dane also attacked Priest and Dunn afterward. So I thought we might get some sort of six-man tag team match at um, Survivor Series, not Survivor Series, at TakeOver War Games with Dunn, Bate, and maybe Trent Seven facing the trio of Priest, Dane, and um, Cameron Grimes. Did I say Dane before? Or, yeah, no, I'm not sure. So I said, what did I say? Dunn, not Dane. Dunn, Bate, and Seven. British Strong Style versus Dunn, or... D- I'm getting the Dane and Dunns mixed up. It's such a confusing name thing, but uh, Dane, Grimes, and Priest. But we're obviously not getting that because Dane turned on Damian Priest, so they all have issues with each other. Um, I think a triple threat match at this point seems more likely. You would think that Grimes and, and Bate would be involved in some form or fashion because um, what's his name? Killing Dane cost Tyler Bate his match against Cameron Grimes last week, but apparently not. But either either way, I assume this will culminate in some sort of a match at TakeOver War Games later this month. We then saw Tynara Conchi taking on Santana Garrett in her first official match on NXT TV. Not her first match on the show. I mean, obviously her first match since signing with a company a few months ago. After so long, I had no idea why no company had been signing Santana Garrett. She was with Impact for a cup of coffee in 2014, but other than that, she has not been signed to a full promotion, a full-time promotion in uh, you know specifically WWE at all, at all up to this point, which was weird. So anyway, um, she had her first um, NXT TV match, and she did wrestle on NXT TV years ago. I know she faced Asuka a while ago. Actually, let's look it up here on the show right now. I know Santana has wrestled on NXT before, before and after she went to um, Impact. Let's see, Santana Garrett win-loss record, just for shits and giggles. Um, She signed with WWE back in um, August. Which was cool. August or I think it was early September. I thought, but either way, let's see here. Uh, ProFightDB, DB. I love this website. It's so organized, easy to use. Um, all the matches are on here. It's so easy to find out, you know, certain things. If you want to know about people's wins and losses, uh, wins and loss records, uh, this is the place to go, in my opinion. Cage match is also good. I just find Pro Fight DB to be more organized, but that's just me. Let's see. Um NXT, so yeah, she's actually wrestled a shit ton for NXT over the past number of years. Wow, so let's look at this. She last wrestled on NXT TV back in June of two thousand and eighteen Um at a TV taping, facing or losing to Dakota Kai. So even well before she signed to NXT, she was on TV. Oh, I mean, we already knew that, but you know. About a year earlier, in June of 2018, she lost to Dakota Kai. She was then in a battle royal two years ago, in October of 2017, that I think that, that was won by Nikki Cross. I think that determined who would be inserted into the um, NXT Women's Championship match. I think a TakeOver War Games maybe that year. So that was 2017. 2016, she had three matches on NXT TV, losing to Billy Kay that July losing to Emma in January, and losing to Asuka also that same month. And she still wasn't signed. And then she was on NXT TV six years ago, in September of 2013, losing to Charlotte Flair. So she had one, two, three, four, five, six televised matches before she was finally signed back in September. That's awesome uh, that she's finally there, but I'm surprised it took so long. I mean, I don't know how old she is. Let's see, 1988. So that would be what 30, 30 years, um, thirty, yeah, about thirty years, right? Thirty-one. She's only thirty-one years old, so she was pretty young when she first wrestled for WWE a few years ago. But um, anyway, unless I'm doing my math wrong or something, uh, yeah, Santana Garrett. Glad to see her. She did lose here to uh, not Dakota Kai to Tanara kanchi uh, which was surprising, just because Kanchi rarely wins. I don't think I've ever seen her win a single match in NXT. But she's improving. She's a work in progress. Still a little rough around the edges, but she's good. And the sole purpose this served was to tell the story and maybe Conchie might be scouted for the fourth spot on Team Baszler. Hey, she could be. I don't think that makes much sense just because she won one match. Um, but, hey, you never know. It's possible. Speaking of Baszler, she took on familiar foe Dakota Kai here up next. Very good match. They have their you know fair share of history dating back to when Baszler debuted in NXT in early 2018. Uh, almost, I think she kind of put her on the shelf for a few weeks after breaking her arm or wrist or something like that. And then she's also credited with injuring Dakota Kai about a year ago on NXT TV. I think Dakota Kai's last match on TV was with Baszler before she got legit hurt um, a while later, like soon after. But this was another really good match. Between the two, they have great chemistry. Dakota Kai looking great in defeat. Once again, falling short. And then afterward, we had Mia Yim come to the save to save the babyfaces from an attack from uh, Marina Shafir, Jessamyn Duke, Io Shirai, Bianca, and Shayna. Now, Shayna recruiting Io and Bianca despite beating them earlier this year for the NXT Women's Championship makes, yes, a little sense. But uh, maybe it's a common cause type of thing. I don't know. I I would have rather seen Baszler, Duke, and Shafir versus Ripley, Belair, and Shirai. And then Kai, Knox, and Laray. But that's just me. What they're doing instead still makes sense. It will be teams of four and not five, as I thought last week. So Baszler's team is just her, um, Eo and Bianca so far, and then Ripley announced after this match, it's going to be her, Tegan Knox, um, Candice LeRae, and Mia Yim, who obviously has a bone to pick with the rest of the four horsewomen of you know MMA, NXT, whatever. So Dakota Kai was ousted from the team. Now, that's left people wondering, what becomes of Dakota Kai? And yeah, I was disappointed that she wasn't selected either. I mean, she's very good friends with Tegan. It would make the most sense for her to be in this fucking match. But what does this mean? Does Dakota Kai turn heel? I honestly think it's only inevitable. How can you do this type of angle and not have her turn heel at some point? Um, Specifically on Ripley or Tegan saying, hey, you stole my spotlight. I came back first. This should have been my time to shine. You came back and stole my thunder. I think that makes the most sense. And they could have some kick-ass matches together. And they have, obviously, a lot of friendship, a lot of history, chemistry, whatever. So it makes sense. Um, But I've seen people say, because next week we are getting Mia Yim versus um, Io Shirai in a ladder match with the winner determining who gets the advantage in war games in a few weeks. So do you have Dakota Kai interfere then? And then she joins Team Baszler? I mean, maybe. I mean, Baszler's already established that Dakota Kai is a loser. That should be a waste of a pick. Maybe that's her long-term plan. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe she's trying to play mind games with Baszler. I, I don't know. And obviously, she'd be more willing to recruit her if she helped um, her team pick up the advantage in war games. I think Shirai is winning no matter what um, in that latter match next week. But uh, still, it, it's something to think about. I would rather them go into the show not announcing who the fourth member is going to be. They could have Dakota Kai come out, and it looks like it's helping that she it looks like she's helping, um, you know, the baby faces, only to join Baszler's team in the end. That would be even better, as opposed to rushing the Dakota Kai yields or by turning her heel next week. I feel like it might be a little too soon for that. But uh either way, don't be discouraged. I do think this is ending up somewhere. This isn't the main roster where they do shit like this and it goes nowhere. I do think they are going somewhere with Dakota Kai and this whole Rejection storyline from Team uh, from Team Ripley. After that, we had the NXT Cruiserweight Championship number one contenders match with Angel Garza knocking off Tony Nice. Very good match here. Angel Garza will face Leo Rush for the NXT Championship, uh, NXT Cruiserweight Championship. Excuse me. Next week on the show. Speaking of 205 Live and the cruiserweights, it will emanate from Full Sail on Friday. I thought it might be being taped live from Full Sail. It won't be. The matches were taped last night before NXT which is what I've been saying for months now. I have no idea why they didn't do it sooner. But at this point, the Cruiserweights are going to be on NXT anyway. Why even bother doing 205 Live? I mean, the show won't be live anymore. Who gives a shit? But um, I thought that was weird. You know, I thought that was kind of strange for, um, for for them to be doing that on Fridays if they have the Cruiserweights on NXT anyway. But yeah, look forward to that. They, I think they taped... Leo Rush versus Raul Mendoza. I think they had a match a few weeks ago on the show. And they're doing another match in full sale, which should be even better just because the crowds are always hotter at full sale. And I think they also taped Mansoor, maybe, which is pretty cool, versus Brian Kendrick, the Brian Kendrick. So that's something to look forward to as well. Uh, we had Dominic Dijakovic taking on Isaiah Swerve. Scott, fantastic match here. No real reason for this match to happen from a storyline standpoint. But it was a great match, good momentum booster for Dijak, for Dijakovic, whatever, who I don't think has won a match in a while since he beat Keith Lee on NXT uh, maybe two or three months ago because he lost the last match to Lee. The other match with Lee a few weeks ago was a no contest, and then he failed to win the NXT North American Championship two weeks ago. So he was 0 to win. I'm glad he won here. This was a great match, and I love Isaiah Swerve Scott. The guy's a star. And then the OC versus Champa Lee and Riddle, another great main event, ended in a no contest after interference, after the referee was knocked down. The typical referee gets a knockdown bullshit. Um, the NXT rarely does, and I didn't like the fact that it happened here, but whatever. Um, not to make excuses, because there's no excuse for this type of nonsense, and I hated the fact they didn't even announce a finish for the match. And it's not like the bell rang or whatever, they just went off the air without delivering a finish to the match. It still may be going on as we speak right now. But anyway... OC versus Ciampa Lee and Riddle. The OC um, almost were defeated by Ciampa before the interference from Adam Cole, who was going to knock out, I think, I'm not sure what happened first. Um, we had Ciampa come out, and uh, or, or rather Finn Balor. Finn Balor first came out, he distracted Ciampa, and I'm not really sure why, because it looked like Balor was facing Johnny Gargano with TakeOver. I'm sure he still will, but I'm not really sure what that was about. So that happened. Um, and then we had Adam Cole come out not only attack AJ Styles, but also Ciampa, which I thought was a really nice touch, because he's not only, oh, NXT, but he's also attacking the same guy he's had bad blood with for the last month, so I thought that was well done. But, um, yeah, this was a great way to close out the show, Finn Balor teasing alliances with both Undisputed Era and the OC, both groups he could very viably join, um, which is fucking cool. But yeah, I'm not really sure what's going on with Balor. Um, And yeah, I just thought this was great. I thought everything about this main event was good, except for the finish. I thought that was bullshit. But I'm very excited to see where Balor's allegiance lies, whether it's with the Undisputed Era, whether it's with the OC, or just himself. Um, The OC at some point versus Undisputed Era would be a fucking kick-ass match. Um, Four on four. Take my fucking money. Um, But for right now, it looks like Balor is on a collision course with Johnny Gargano heading into TakeOver later this month. Real quickly, Dynamite from Wednesday night as well before we get into my quick full gear predictions for Saturday. Pack beat Trent. Very good opening match. Not sure why it had to last as long as it did, um, just because the outcome was never in doubt, and the finish looked botched. Uh, Trent, I don't think he would have kicked out of the red arrow, but the finish, the referee didn't count three for the finish. So Pack had to lock in his, uh, you know, uh, rings of Saturn and finisher. I forgot what he calls it. But um, he locked that in on Trent. Tent ta- uh, Trent tapped out immediately. Cody then cut the promo of his life when addressing Chris Jericho in his match this Saturday at Full Gear for the AEW World Championship. And the video package that Jericho put together, kind of mocking the one that Cody did a few weeks ago, was tremendous with the use of Virgil and Sammy Guevara and Chris's aunt's friend from church was amazing. Um, Patricia Bobski, I think her name was, kind of a pun, kind of a play on the Bobski name that Jericho was using in the Southpaw regional wrestling skits years ago in WWE that I think have since been added to the WWE Network. They're also on YouTube if you want to check them out. Jericho was great in that character. But that was funny. But yeah, Cody cutting a great promo. Also announcing in that promo that if he loses, by his own degree, by his own decree, why I don't know, but he said to his, you know, whatever, on his own he came up with this, that if he loses on Saturday, he will no longer be allowed to compete for the World Championship. Why? I have no idea. The feud is a month old. It just kind of feels forced. Uh, The match was already good, and they had the 60-minute time limit, which seems also a little forced, but whatever. Um, They're adding so many bells and whistles onto this thing, that's just not necessary. And the only way that makes sense is if MJF beats him. Not beats him, but betrays Cody and leads to Jericho beating Cody to retain his title. It's way too soon for Cody to be the AEW World Champion. So hopefully that's where this thing ends up, because... Uh, I just, that was, I thought that was a weird stipulation for him to add. I don't think anyone was, you know, um, salvating for a Cody one last chance match at full gear. I'm not really sure where that came from, but this was a hell of a promo. Otherwise though, the crowd ate it up and he is the most over guy in AEW. And yeah, it might be because he helped come up with AEW, but the guy comes across like a fucking God every time he goes out there. He is so over to his credit. I mean, the guy may not be an amazing wrestler, But Cody, as a performer, is second to none. And he has this crowd, every crowd that he performs in front of, eating out of the palm of his hand. So that Jericho match could be really good if done the right way, and if not, you know, dragged out for too, too long. We then had the Private Party. Private Party knocking off the Dark Order to earn entry into the AEW World Tag Team title match on Saturday. So they are doing a triple threat tag team title match of full gear, pitting Private Party against SCU against... The current champions, the new champions, uh, SCU, Private Party, and the Lucha Bros. They're the SCU or the current champions, Lucha Bros lost last week. Why they're getting another shot, I have no idea. And I love Lucha Bros. But what have they done to deserve another opportunity at those tag team titles? They got beat. Fair and square. What's the point? I'm li- I like the fact that Private Party actually had to earn their spot in the match, but why are the Lucha Bros involved? Other than the fact that they're fucking awesome. If they're that good, they should have been involved in the first place. I don't know. I just I thought it was weird. I just thought it was a really weird way to go about it. But uh, this was a good match. Private Party won, as they should have. And it will be a three-way tag team title match on Saturday with SCU, Lucha Bros, and Private Party. Um, and also, I should mention, too, it was called a bronze medal match where the winners earned, like, third-place medals. So I thought that was kind of funny, too. We then saw Emi Sakura and Jamie Hayter knock off the duo of the AEW Women's Champion Rio and Shauna uh, Shayna, no, no, I think it's Shana. But this was a good match. Um, they worked well together. One of the better women's matches I've seen on this show, up you know to date, up to this point. Um, Sakura pin Rio for the victory. As I said earlier, I'm not a fan of when the champions eat non-title losses, and I understand why they did it. But at the same time, the feud feels so random and so forced. It came completely out of nowhere, and um, I- I'm ready for them to start showcasing more women beyond who they have in these. Like, can they? All... Are they only obligated to focus on Hater Sakura? Rio, Sheena, or Shauna, rather, and Britt Baker. I feel like we hear from the same people every single fucking week. What about Allie? What about, uh, not Big Swole or Mercedes. I don't know they're signed yet. But um, what about Allie? And Leva Bates, no thanks. But, you know, Sadie Gibbs, we have yet to really see her. Brandy Rhodes does nothing for me, but I could, I, I would love to see more of Awesome Kong, but I'm sure that's only inevitable. So I would rather see Brandy Rhodes if they're heading towards a managerial relationship with Kong and Brandy. I like that idea. But Brandy getting back in the ring with Kong as her heavy, absolutely no thanks. After that, we had Sean Spears knocking off Brandon Cutler, short and sweet uh, squash, short and sweet squash. So Joey Janela came out afterwards, seemingly setting up a match between Spears and Janela for the full gear pay-per-view, which according to Wiki has since been made official. I didn't know it was, but I guess they will be facing off on Saturday, probably on the buy-in pre-show. And then the main event, saw Chris Jericho, the AEW world champion, and Sammy Guevara knock off Hangman, Adam Page, and Kenny Omega in a really good main event. All four guys working well together, fast-paced, good action. Page losing again to Jericho, probably unnecessary, but it didn't even really matter given the finish they ended up going with um, for this show with the brawl that ensued between Jericho and Cody. And then Jake Hager and um, MJF. And then Kenny Omega and Jon Moxley. And then the Young Bucks and Santana and Ortiz. I thought that was great. It was it was really, really, really well done. And it was a hot way to close out a, a very good show. I thought NXT, again, was the better show this week. But this was still a very good uh, show on the whole. I can't say again that I would pay 50 bucks for full gear. And I'm not sure this show did a lot to sell me on the majority of full gear. They did a great job of selling me on the top two matches with Jericho and Cody. And then... Um, the other match, Moxley and Omega with the video package they put together for those guys. I thought that was good. Santana and Ortiz versus the Young Bucks kind of sells itself. The rest of the show kind of feels thrown together. Janela and Spears. Okay. Rio and and Emu Sakura feels so random. The tag team title match doesn't even really make much sense. Um, you know, Page and Pac make sense, and that should be a great match. And they also hyped that up at the end of the show, too. But, yeah, the undercard matches could use some work, but, again, if the, if the top matches deliver, that's really all that matters. So, real quickly, before we wind down here, AEW full gear predictions for Sunday. This should be a great show. I'm not overly sold on the entire card, just because some of the undercard matches, as I said earlier, kind of feel thrown together. Um, I would rather see them just put together, you know, if the show really just consisted of Moxley and Omega, Jericho and Cody... Bucks and Ortiz and Santana, and then the two title matches. I'd be fine. Like five matches seems appropriate. I would rather see them go with two and a half hour pay per views like the NXT shows. Maybe three hours. You can stretch out that card three hours. You don't need eight matches. I mean, it's a typical WWE pay per view lineup with eight matches. Really, actually seven, because it says here on Wiki that B Priestley. I think that's how you pronounce her name, B Priestley, not Bia. I thought it was B, I I guess it's B. B Priestley versus Britt Baker's on the pre show was on the buy in show, whatever. Um, which is where it belongs because Baker is not that good. And from what I've seen from B, she's also not that good. Um, anyway, so maybe seven matches make sense, but I would rather not these I would rather not see the show go on for longer than it needs to. I think all out was like a fucking four hour show. And if that's the WrestleMania, it makes sense, but otherwise these shows should really be limited to three hours. Do what WWE doesn't and make your big shows three hours long as they should be. There's no reason, aside from your biggest show of the year, except for maybe All Out or whatever, for these shows to be four hours long. So anyway, starting from the bottom, working our way to the top here, starting with the pre-show buy-in match, whatever, between B. Priestley and Britt Baker. Um, This could go either way. Britt Baker, you know, she's won some matches so far. I could see the feud continuing, even though it's been going on for months now. I'll just say Britt Baker, because she's kind of like the star of their women's division. Um, I was going to say, I, didn't think Bri- I don't think B's been in a match on Dynamite yet, but I think she was at the show that I was at, at Dynamite and, uh, in Boston about a month ago. And I think her team lost. I think it was her and like Imi Akura versus Rio and Britt. I, I forget. I forget what it was. It was not that good of a match. But uh, I think Britt Baker wins here. You could go either one. You can't go wrong with either one in terms of who could win here because it's kind of even. But I do think Britt Baker will win this one. Um, we then go to Joey Janela versus Sean Spears, another match I think belongs on the pre-show, but whatever, um, I like Spears, Janela's not bad, thank God this is not another hardcore match, we see those. We see that shit all the time on these fucking shows, they overdo the hardcore matches The shit, I mean they're doing one anyway, with Moxley and Omega, so maybe that's why, um, but still I'm glad that this isn't an, an additional hardcore match, I just don't think it's necessary, but Janela Spears, Spears has got to go over, he hasn't won any important matches at all so far in AEW. He won a tag team match. He beat Brandon Cutler. Um, he beat Nakazawa on, on Dark on Tuesday, but that's nothing. I mean, Janela hasn't really won any important matches either, but I see more money in Spears than I do Janela, and Spears has got the manager the awesome theme song, who I think I think that was composed by Josiah Williams, who's with NXT. He did the old Undisputed Era theme song remix. He came out with Adam Cole, TakeOver25, and sang his theme song. I mean, Spears has been with, NXT, or been with AEW since May. So, and Josiah has, I think, been with WWE since April. So he must have done the song for him while he was with WWE, which is weird. But anyway, um, the match should be fine. I got Spears going over here, probably with interference from uh, Tully Blanchard. We'll then go to the tag team title match, SoCal Uncensored versus the Lucha Bros versus Private Party. Um, This should be a good match. Um, SoCal just won the belts a week ago, so I think it's too soon to take the titles off them. I wouldn't complain if if the Lucha Bros won or a Private Party. Both are tremendous tag teams. The Lucha Bros should have been the champions from the get-go, but I think they'll probably keep the belts on SCU until Santana and Ortiz can beat them for them at some point in the not-so-distant future. So I got SCU winning here. Rio versus Emi Sakura. I got Rio winning, retaining the AEW Women's Championship. I honestly could not care less about the feud just because it was kind of thrown together at the last minute. And again, she also just won her title a month ago. So I wouldn't rush in anything by having her lose it so soon, especially to someone as ill-defined as Emi Sakura. Neither one of these women, by the way, we've heard speak on the mic, which is my biggest gripe with the women right now in AEW that they get no fucking mic time. Zero mic time. But the match, from an in-ring standpoint, should be good, and I have Rio winning, still the AEW Women's Champion. Adam Page versus Pack, uh, the rematch from the inaugural episode of AEW Dynamite. I got Page winning here. He lost to Jericho at um, All Out. He lost to Pack uh, on that, you know, in that match on the AEW Dynamite debut. He's got to pick up a big victory. He's got to win a match. And Pack, I don't think has been pinned yet in singles competition at all. Here in the States in a long-ass time, so this could be a big win for for Adam Page. Unless Pat goes for the World Championship or some shit, he should not win this match. So I got Adam Page winning here. Uh, The Young Bucks versus Santana and Ortiz. I got to go Santana and Ortiz. I love the fact that the Bucks put over a private party about a month ago in the opening round of the AEW World Tag Team Title Tournament. They should do the same here for Santana and Ortiz, who have been great so far in AEW, but they need a big win. They won one match against two losers a few weeks ago, but they need a big win to really establish themselves as a force to be reckoned with. So, uh, yeah, I got Santana and Ortiz winning to keep the feud alive. Then we got Moxley and Omega. John Moxley, Kenny Omega, and a non-sanctioned match, which a stipulation I don't think it needs. I think this could have flown as a standard singles match. The no-disqualification matches in AEW feel so overdone and so tiresome. But, anyway, this should be a great match, knowing Moxley, knowing Omega. Um who wins is a good question. This is probably the biggest question mark for me. Cause Omega, the story with him is that he has yet to win an important match in AEW. He lost to Jericho a double or nothing. He lost to Pack at all out. Um he may have lost one other match. I feel like he lost maybe another match on TV. Maybe not. But um he hasn't exactly had the greatest luck lately. He needs a big win. This could be it, but I would rather have Moxley win. Keep the thing alive. I mean, I guess they could always blow it off here. The feud's technically been going on since May. Um, But I think Moxley should win. Moxley really hasn't won any important matches either. I mean, the guy beat Joey Janela a few months ago. He beat Sean Spears on Dynamite. He needs a big win more than Omega does. So I feel like he's bulletproof and he can lose and he'll be fine. Uh, He can go off the deep end by losing here. I think Moxley's got to win. Maybe not a must-win situation because Omega could benefit from it as well. But I feel like with Moxley, if he loses so soon, then what's the point? Like, what else do you do with the guy? Omega can at least bounce back, and there's more of a story arc. Honestly, I'm more intrigued to see Omega lose than I am to see him win. So I, I, got, um, I got Moxley winning here, and Omega's downfall, his descent into madness continuing. And then what will very likely and should be the main event, Chris Jericho versus Cody, given all the promotion it's received up to this point. For the AEW World Championship, So a few different stipulations here. One, it will have a 60-minute time limit where if it goes to the time limit draw, um, three judges will determine, you know, who the winner was, who got the better of the match, a lot like what Impact used to do a few years ago, like it's fucking boxing or some shit. Um, Another stipulation is that if Cody loses, he will never again be able to challenge for the AEW World Championship. I thought that might be, maybe he can't challenge for as long as Chris Jericho's champion. But according to Wiki, and from what I've gotten in other places, it looks like Cody can't go forward at all. I mean, again, he is the most over guy in that promotion right now, so I can see him winning. And another thing, too, you gotta keep in mind that people have brought up, Jericho is facing Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom in January. And AEW, as of right now, has either a very strained relationship with New Japan or no relationship at all, which I'm not really sure which is worse. Uh, probably the former. But um, I don't know if they want to have Jericho go in there and lose to a New Japan guy when he's going to be their world champion. It may not send the greatest message, is what I mean. I mean, he wouldn't go out there with the title, obviously. Um, the same way that Moxley didn't come out with the U.S. Championship earlier on in the year before he got, you know, before it was vacated um, due to him not making the show where he was supposed to lose it. But yeah, I, I, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because Jericho shouldn't lose, but at the same time, though. I mean, will they have him go to New Japan and lose to Tanahashi? And you know he's losing that match. I don't know. And New Japan, I doubt would have Jericho win, go over one of their top stars if he's the rival's, you know, top champion. So it's 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 a weird thing. It's a really weird thing. And they also have two months until, and they could always have Jericho drop the belt. They could always have Jericho drop the belt between now and then. I don't think this is the time to put the belt on Cody. It's just way too soon. Jericho just won the championship in in August. And he's been doing the best work of his entire career as the AEW World Champion. That video package alone showed why Jericho should be the champion right now. Uh, The video package they put together for Jericho, the one I mentioned earlier, from Dynamite. The match should be good. I don't want to see it go 60 minutes. Um, There's no real reason for a 50-year-old Jericho on his birthday. I think is on Saturday. Um, And I think he is turning either 50 or 49. Uh, There's no reason for that match to be a 60-minute main event. But uh, either way, I'm going to stick with my guns and say Jericho retains after MJF maybe either interferes inadvertently and costs Cody the match or just flat-out turns on him. They could drag it out a little longer for MJF to turn on Cody, but it would make sense to do it here, and then you could build a long-term feud between MJF and Cody because MJF was already a heel anyway. Just the only person he's friendly with is Cody. And they've been building this up for months and months and months, ever since the beginning of 2019, because I thought they might do Cody and MJF at double or nothing, because there was a thing on being the elite earlier this year where MJF was talking shit about Cody behind Cody's back, and Cody actually picked up on the fact that MJF was talking shit, and I forgot what the payoff to that was, because it never really led anywhere, and they're still friends now, so I'm not sure, but this could be where MJF goes heel, and whether he joins the inner circle or not, I think Cody loses. MJF betrays Um, Cody, cost him the AEW World Championship, and Jericho is still your AEW World Champion. But overall, though, this is a pretty good card on paper. Like I said earlier, the undercard matches don't do a ton for me just because the build was almost non-existent. But the main matches are really what I'm watching the show for. I'm looking forward to it, and hopefully they deliver another great exceptional event on Saturday in full gear 2019. And that's going to do it for me, guys, here on today's WrestleRant Radio for November 9th, or rather 7th. I'm gonna, the 9th is Saturday, and it's full gear. That's why I said that. I'm looking at the full gear card right now. For uh, November 7th, 2019, thank you guys, as always, for checking out the show. I appreciate it. Be sure to share the show on Twitter, Facebook, all the social media platforms. I appreciate it, uh, your support of the show and all that other stuff. Be sure to subscribe to the show, if you haven't already, by... Checking us out and subscribing on Stitcher, Spotify. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, uh, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Wrestling.net. We're all over the place, baby. So subscribe today and never miss an episode of WrestleRant Radio. As for me, folks, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash and on Twitter as well at WrestleRant and on YouTube at youtube.com backslash c backslash Graham, G. and Matthews. So next week here on Rant Radio, I will be breaking down the full gear pay-per-view, my full in-depth analysis of the entire event, along with whatever's happening on Raw, NXT, and Dynamite by that point. Again, if you want my full unscripted, not unscripted, but my full candid thoughts on SmackDown from every Friday, which I will not be talking about for the foreseeable future here on Rant Radio, you can check those out very likely on Saturdays on my YouTube channel where I post a full-on review of the entire show from Friday night. Until next time, guys, I'm Graham G.S. Matthews. Enjoy your month of November, and I'll catch your ass down the road.